Well, hello and welcome to the Rugby Ruckus Tight Five. Ben Kimber here after, well, I'm going to call it a monster week in Australian rugby. There is a hell of a lot of talk about, a lot to talk to. We've got some news to share in regards to the big broadcast deal. We've got a Wallabies win to dissect. But firstly, can you tell me what you're wearing, particularly for those who are on video? We don't have this video for some summer on podcast but Morks, you're looking kind of special this evening well i thought i thought you'd wear your wallabies kit for sure after the victory you love a bandwagon better than most and you've gone <laughs> you've gone business attire there must be an underlying reason for that we might have to get into that soon but this is the uh the classic wallabies i call it the dad shirt but it's the, you know the hawaiian shirt uh that the classic wallabies are brought out the, the australian national bird is there and there's a there's a <laughs> the bin chicken got the bin FJ, chicken on it there's the fj holden there's a surfboard with the classic Wallabies logo on. So uh, in honour of the Wallabies comeback victory after the week before, I thought I'd chuck it on. And then, you know, if anyone wants to buy one because they don't like their father that much or because they do or they've run out of things to buy them, and classicwallabies.com.au can pick up one of the shirts. Mate, I think that's a great plug. We love to plug some of our stuff on, on this show, and that's a worthy one to plug. Important question for perhaps myself and a few of our other uh, play, ex-players out there. How big do the sizes go, mate? Well, I've squeezed into an XL, so if I can get into the XL, we do have bigger sizes. Uh, I might get one that's a bit bigger for after Christmas, if I get through Christmas month. To have something, it's a bit like your skinny jeans. You need a good one and maybe one that's a little bit more forgiving. Maybe get two. That's, that's the way, mate. Look, a lot to get through in this show. Uh, it is the Type 5 Live. Let's talk about the five things that we are going to cover. Let me just chuck up the topics for you guys. The new broadcast deal. There was a press conference this week. We'll talk about that. That is an enormous change in the rugby landscape in Australia. Enormous. The Wallabies' bloody win. Uh, it was described by some as a dead rubber when it's the, the live second game of the Tri-Nations. I don't know how you can do that. It was a game that was definitely on the line. Australia won that one against odds, mate, for me, but we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about who the standout players in there were, were and there were some players for the Wallabies who had games for the ages, games that I think we'll talk about for some time. Red card rulings we have to talk about too, mate. A couple of red cards, a couple of yellow cards. It was a big part of the game. Didn't ruin it, as some people said, but it was a big part of the game. And then coach's corner, you're going to pull out a couple of moments for us uh, that that uh, you thought really summed up uh, some of the elements of the game that are worth knowing about and hopefully teach some of us a bit more about the game when it's in action. But first and foremost, mate, the news from this week. It's been rumoured for a while. We've talked about it. We've written about it. I wrote a piece for our subscribers in our newsletter, uh, and actually I forgot to put up the screen promoting our newsletter. If you go to therugbyruckus.com and sign up, you get our weekly newsletter where we talk about the news of the day. Morgs breaks down games before and, and, and often after, uh, and we also share all the news, rumours, and what's going on in rugby. So sign up at therugbyruckus.com and you'll get some of the things that we refer to in our podcast. But, mate, the broadcast deal, it came down to sticking with the incumbent, Fox Sports. They did put an offer on the table after rumours last year that they wouldn't. They put a big number up there, apparently. I'm, I'm just talking about what I saw in the papers, 35-odd mil for the domestic portion of the game before the overseas portion is sold. And importantly, that's, I think, part of the, the confusion out there has been the numbers that are being bandied around aren't the full deal because Wallabies games still need to be sold overseas. But anyway, Fox Sports were in the game. But then out of, out of, not out of nowhere, but they seem to be late to the game compared to the early Optus talk. In came Nine Entertainment. Now, Nine Entertainment, of course, is Channel 9, the, the formerly Fairfax newspapers. They've got radio stations. They're a big organisation. And the part of the, the conversation that made them a really interesting prospect and ended up being important for them to get the, the gig was they have Stan. They have their, their streaming service, their paid streaming platform, which has been uh, do it going great guns. It's got about 2.2 million subscribers, active subscribers in Australia, and access to a lot more. It was a big part of the puzzle. Now, Morks, the thing for me that was massive was the fact that this is the first time a media deal has been done in Australia for a sport where the paid part of the organisation and the free-to-air are in the same place. So, mate, Morks, it was big news. You would have been at Rugby Australia headquarters. I was there. We'll talk about why in a minute. Uh, you were there. It was big news, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, you know, if we lead off the show with, with something like this that isn't the Wallabies beating the All Blacks after being beaten by almost 40 points the week before, you know it's big news. Uh, it's a huge 
quantum shift in the game. 25 years since Fox Sports really had a crack at this unknown thing called Super Rugby and, and, and tacked the Wallabies into that, the Wallabies that were had been world champions and were about to be. And uh, it's been a long and prosperous relationship, really. Obviously, the, the, the last couple of years have been, been quite strained. And now this is a just a huge moment in the game. And I'm interested in your thoughts as the expert on the media side, what that means to have free-to-wear and pay under the same umbrella and what it would mean for the so the fair, the acquisition of, of the Fairfax newspapers, of radio stations and things like that, how that can be a full court press for the game of rugby and and what rugby, how rugby will benefit from being the first one through the door into the newly formed stand sport. Well, I, I th- and, and, and subscribers of the news that will know some of my thoughts on this because I wrote an in-depth piece about it a while about, ago. But really, you know, back in the early days when, when Foxtel started and Super Rugby was the first product, the rugby audience was the one that launched that product. They were the first sports fans in Australia to start to go out there and really pay for their product. And it was the, it was the nugget on which Fox Sports built and Foxtel built into Australia. So it was really, really important. And what we're seeing here is that rugby is again at the nexus, at the change in the media market, that all of a sudden now they are the sport that are going into the first – new kind of model that could really be disruptive and that is connecting those two what that means is what what it means is that, that these organizations can look at the product they can look at the best way to promote it they can look at the best way to monetize it the best way to make sure they're getting bang for the buck for both rugby and themselves and work out the way that it needs to be structured across their own organizations and you tie into that their, their great reach through radio through newspapers there's a there's a whole lot of different elements that can be stitched together but they do it all together they do it as one partner you look at the way say nrl appears on both um uh, free to wear and on uh fox sports they don't reference each other so really as, as a, the nrl is the owner of the product they're out there saying you know there's two ways to get us but they don't talk to each other so when all those massive free-to-wear markets don't promote the fact that there's a deeper richer experience for their sport uh in a paid version so really that that is a, an, an enormous shift and i think the big shift in the in the, the news reports that we saw the things that they're really showing that i think uh, reportedly brought AAU or Rugby Australia, I'll call them AAU forever, mate, I reckon, but the thing that brought them over the line is you've got the CEO of uh, Nine Entertainment and the CEO of Stan, Hugh Marks and, and, and Mike Sneesby, both out there publicly saying how they are going to rev it up. They're going to make sure that rugby is considered as a jewel, that they're going to think about great ways to cover it, different camera angles, different different ways to, to get into it. And, you know, probably possibly a belief that, at Fox, it wasn't getting quite that love. It was one of the sports. Now I worked at Fox. I know they do a fantastic job of sport, but we have fresh eyes on it now. We have fresh eyes thinking about what's the way to bring it together more. And that's an exciting message, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And that's the thing. No one wants to uh, deride what Fox did for 25 years. The greatest investor, the greatest uh, supporter of rugby in Australia over the last 25 years and and dragged it into the to the modern day product that it is today um, but but even at the time I spent there in at Fox you could see it was quite obvious that that rugby was near the back of the queue in terms of uh, importance at Fox and and the people the smaller group uh, compared to sort of the NRLs and the AFLs and the cricket at the end the smaller group of passionate rugby union people did their best with what they could uh, and now it's really exciting to see what, what someone who puts rugby first and foremost in their mind and what they can do with it. And we talk about, we've already seen in the papers around innovation, around drones and cameras and how many cameras and, and different ways of giving access. So this access that, that in the end is money can buy experience for people who are going to subscribe to stand, what what insights, what how close they can get to the game and the players and the people that animate it. Now, mate, uh, an interesting piece of news, uh, you know, people out there are speculating, you know, commentators, who's going to go to stand, how nine going to cover it. The news for us, it may be slightly disappointing for those expecting different news, but the person who's joined stand is actually me. So I've actually, I, I went, I came on board with Stan on Monday. I've gone in as a consultant to, to help them uh, work uh, across the nine organisation and think about what can be done with rugby. And, mate, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just started. I've got to get my head into the game and understand what they intend to do. But I walked into an organisation that before the announcement was already well down the path of thinking how they want to cover rugby and what they want to do. And I've been fortunate enough to get a, to get a start with them to start to help to bring it together. So, mate, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big change. I, you know, I happen to have some capacity to get in there and, uh, and I'm, I'm pleased to be working with some really smart people at, at Stand and Nine. And I'll be, you know, more in this space you'll hear from me over time as we start to look at how it comes together. I'm actually a bit filthy, truthfully, because mate, like, you're, a, you're a journo, right? So you're used to, like, you know, cultivating informants and trying to get leaks of information. I have genuinely not been able to get anything out of you, nothing about what's going to happen, <laughs> who they're going to get, who the commentators will be, 
who's going to be in charge, what, who's, what, what's, going to, what's going to happen, uh, what the new production will look like. Are there going to be midweek shows? I've got a million questions, and you're, you're a vault. I'm filthy. Nothing for you, mate. It's nothing mate, for you. I'm not going to answer your calls. You know that. <laughs> mate, I'm surprised you're still doing the show. You already brushed me last night. <laughs> Well, mate, uh, to be honest, the, the, the production quality on some of my photos tonight might not be up to it because I have been actually flat out uh, getting involved and getting to understand it. But, mate, it really is super exciting. And I said I've walked in there and there are smart people everywhere and they are keen and super excited about making rugby a success. So, mate, uh, as I said, more in this space. Uh, and I hope uh, I hope you'll see some great stuff from the stand people and myself uh, over the next few months through to what is not very far away, mate, next year's kickoff, but there's uh, there's a fair bit coming along. Mate, um, uh, and thank you. I can see I can see thanks. Uh, you know, it seems a little self-indulgent to put them up, but um, thanks thanks to Mitch Evans, uh, Chris Lamb, uh, Shane Cole, uh, Steve Lenthal, Michael, oh, uh, Jason. Hey, this, this, everyone's getting thanks, mate. Is that these all right? blokes want to join the commentary team, that's why. Jeez, <laughs> no, I bet you'll be popular. You'll be very popular. Uh, that's it. Um, all right, mate. Look, let's let's move along with the show. Let's talk about a Wallabies uh, Bledisloe Cup win. Actually, before we do, there's a couple of couple of comments I didn't see uh, from the crowd before. Steve Lentzel says it's nice to see broadcasting from the beach, um, and uh, and Michael uh, Tuahini uh, said uh, no, I didn't get the email. Well, actually, I'm waiting for the package. I'm assuming Morgs is sending me a classic Wallabies one, which I'm happy to pay for. But I'm sure. Well, no, well, well, now I reckon we might be able to work out a little quid pro quo. Actually. <laughs> I, might able, I might be able to think of something. There you go. Mate, let's talk about the Wallabies win. I didn't hold much hope myself, mate. You know, um, uh, you know, a lot of the influence on me this year has been the talk of Benny Darwin, and he talks about cohesion, and he talks about changes to teams. And I think I looked at that Wallabies team, and we had a, we had Reece Hodge coming in at number 10. He hadn't played number 10, not a, lot of, a lot of 10. Paisami was starting at his first 12. Changes to the forward pack. I was a bit concerned that this All Blacks team would, would be revved up. But, mate, it was the Suncor magic again. All of a sudden, the Wallabies came out and they turned it on. And, and one of the key things that really stood out for me, Morgs, was somehow we talk about, you know, the complexities of rugby, but the simplicity of rugby as well. When the Wallabies turn up physically, we just see that difference, don't we? They turned up physically. They got the simple things right in the way I approach it. And I, I assume that's what we hear from you in Coach's Corner. But overall, mate... And for me, an unexpected victory, a completely beautifully timed and welcome victory. But what did you think of the game? The, the, the Wallabies looked like they were a massive chance all the way through it and, and brought it home. Yeah, they did. And I think that's a great start. That fast start really is important for the Wallabies every time they play, especially against the All Blacks. What the All Blacks like to do is break that elastic as soon as they can, and then they just play touch footy and have fun. You score early, you keep scoreboard pressure on, and we talked about it. You don't have to lead. You just need to keep that scoreboard tight. And at eight all, there's been plenty of footy played, and, and the Wallabies were just continually in the game. And the All Blacks, the entity that they are, the pressure is always on them to win, the manner that they win and the pressure on them to win well. And, you know, I think a few people will go, well, the All Blacks, Bledisloe was over, uh, they changed their team, they put their foot off the pedal. The All Blacks don't have ever have the right to take the foot off the pedal. That's what that team's about. And we got, and there's a Tri-Nations to win. The All Blacks win that game. They're pretty well set up that if they beat Argentina at least once of the two times, they're a decent chance of winning Tri-Nations. That definitely wasn't a dead rubber. And not, one, no test matches, and two, the Tri-Nations Cup is on the line. That was an important test match for both teams. Ian Foster had the freedom to show some faith in some extra players in his squad. Ikiriwana uh, played well until he had to be replaced because of the red card. But I think the quality of the Wallabies' performance was the pressure and, and the lack of time and space they gave over the full 80 minutes to TJ Perinara and Bowden Barrett. Perinara, probably his you know, most underwhelming game, the, the high quality that he's produced off the bench and when he's had chances to start, that's, that's one of the most underwhelming games for one of the world's top three halfbacks. Uh, and, and that's a credit mm. to the Australian team, the way they could keep the pressure on, not let them have time and space and quality ball. They still had their opportunities, but the Wallabies limited them. So fast start, scoreboard pressure early, and that physicality that you talk talk about. Uh, scrum went well. Set piece was good. Line-out throwing was good. All the basic things that you had a 10 that tackled really well was really efficient. All those little basic things add up to a close game or an opportunity to win the game. And then the Wallabies won those two or three big, big moments in the game, and that's it. And the great thing is that the red card didn't affect the outcome because it was evened up by the second red card. I actually was happy with the second one because in the end it meant, well, there's no excuse. It's still you know, I was 14 the same. on 14. Yeah. 
I was the same. When I saw that, I was like, as much as I was disappointed, I was like, well, literally, you know, if they finish this one off, it won't be that. People would say, oh, look at Perth. When they smashed this in Perth, we were 14 or 14 here. So that that was actually one of the good things for me. And to be honest, I got really frustrated with the people out there saying red cards ruined the game. That to me was a sort of sort of commentary, which is a bit lazy, which is just a bit like people say that without actually considering the game. You sit back and consider that game. It was a fantastic game. It was an absolute spectacle. Yes, there is the potential for a red card to ruin a game. Potential. You can't point at that game, but we're going to talk about red cards a little bit later. I'll, I'll get ahead of myself there. Well, I want to get into you, though, about um, uh, Reese Hodge. Uh, we talked in the newsletter, and at the time you tweeted, and I was about to tweet at you, but you tweeted it. When we saw that early try of the Wallabies, when Reese Hodge put his chip kick through, I thought the same thing. You had talked about it. We had talked about it in the newsletter on podcast previously, the aggressive All Blacks defence, how you have to do some things sometimes to set them on their on the, back on their heels, to slow them down, to let them not think they're going to get up and dominate you. And we saw it executed to perfection. Reese Hodge, chip over the top. Tom Banks in contact gets the ball away. And Tom Wright with absolutely fantastic feet and one of the most memorable debuts of any player in Wallabies history goes over for the try. Specifically, Morgs, what did you think that did to the game? And what did Reese Hodge bring as a 10? Well, that was the perfect start because it's something that they would have had to have practiced. They would have, Scott Wiseman would have gone, guys, there's space in behind. The All Blacks got line speed on, on line out. Let's stick one in behind. It actually had a little bit more airtime, I reckon, than Hodgie wanted and just got the great bounce. But the great thing there was Korobiti was trying to chase and cover. Uh, Paisami chased. The tire chased. Uh, Banks was there. Great right-handed, one-handed offload to finish off, and Wright was in the right position. So it was every single one of the backs did their job um, to create that try. Execution from Hodge, excellent, and just a great way to start because when something you practice in the training field comes off, there's an extra bit of celebration. A first-phase try from something you've identified and executed is always celebrated a bit more. It gives you confidence. Righto, we're on the right track. We identified that. We were right, and we've just got points out of it. It's a perfect mm. start to a game to get them tactically and for something that you've practiced to come off. Uh, Hodge, mm. Hodge, it's funny, you know, the, the performance of Reese Hodge has almost made me step back and reconsider perhaps like the romantic idea we have around Australian tens. You know, I was brought mm. up on the the mythology of Ella, the, 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 the Ilan of David Knox, played with one of the greatest freaks of all time in Stephen Larkham, seen the Giddos and players like that, mercurial players. Uh, it was very much about, you know, creating line breaks, creating space for outside men, um, X-factor players. And then Hodge comes out and does the basic things excellently well. And the great thing about all those names that I've mentioned is they did the basics really well and they could do the next stuff as well. But Hodge mm. came out, he tackled excellently well in his in his channel. He, he carried when under pressure. He didn't uh, – so I think I counted one time when he transferred pressure onto another player. Uh, he kicked excellently well. He kicked at the right times. He took pressure off his nines box kicking. It wasn't always nine box kicking. He tried to shift when he could, but he, he carried and he cleaned out and he tackled. He almost played mm. like an extra 12. He almost played with two 12s. The other thing that I want to mention, and he's in one of the players of the round, is Hunter Paisami was excellent at 12. A couple mm. of nice passes, a nice kick. Uh, I think he he played and, and really facilitated Hodges' game as well to be that guy there that can straighten the attack. But also, he added element by element of his game. I was hugely impressed by Hunter Pai's army. But Hodge was was perhaps the hero we needed at the right time in the right game. Uh, whether that means he's the long-term option is a different yeah. different question. Well, that's that's just what I was going to throw to you there. Jason Sherman asked, is Hodge the answer at 10? Or was it more the extra starch in defence, Reese, Hunter, Geordie, that made the difference? Is he worth a look at 15, perhaps with JAC back at 10? What do you think about the way that the Wallabies might think about Reese Hodge into this team? Yeah, I now. would I would pick – I've seen James O'Connor up training at, at Rugby Australia. He's in the gym. He looks – the two weeks into the next test means he'll be ready, I would think. Uh, so I'd probably pick O'Connor. And then Hodge goes toe-to-toe with Hale Petty and Banks and Maddox for that number 15 jersey. I don't mind the balance of what the Pais Army Pataya gives us. Uh, mm. And I Wright was great on the wing. Dalgunu is a, a genuine valid option there as well. And Korobiti, first one picked. So I think we've always thought Hodges a 15. I was hugely impressed with him as a 10. I'm still, I still don't think he's a 10. 
I think he's a better 15 and 13 than a 10. But, gee, he was excellent for us on the weekend. So it's hard to go to – if Dave Rennie goes, well, I'm just going to pick him again. It's hard It's hard to dismiss that as a selection option. But I would probably take O'Connor and then say to Hodge, well, maybe you've earned your spot at 15. As, and Banks probably had his best game in a Wallaby jersey, especially against top-tier opposition. Do you think? Do you think Hodge was sort of in the mould of of maybe more of a South African ten or something? Like you, you talk about the tens that you looked up to in a style sense. Are there other tens who've played Test footy who have been had the same toolkit as Reese Hodge? Have brought the same style of game at that at that ten jersey at that spot? I would think Butch James is probably the only one. Um, yeah. He's a low, he's a low chop tackler. But in terms of that physicality, the ability to carry the ball, like you look at a Mornay Stain and and a, and a Andre Pretorius and guys like that, Hodges nothing like that. Like that was a genuine target in the ten channel. As as great as those guys were uh, at scoring points and and facilitating play and standing deep and and, and orchestrating their play, they were genuine targets in defence. Reese Hodge, you, you're almost happy for someone to run down Reese Hodges. You actually are happy for someone to run down Reese Hodges' channel because it actually sets up your defence. And I'll show that, I'll illustrate that when we get to Coach's Corner. But I would think Butch James is probably the only one. Farrell's probably a better ball player uh, than Hodge, but very similar in that you're very happy for them to run down that channel. Wilkinson, excellent defensively. He had he had trouble with the shoulder for years and still was one of the best defensive tens. I think that that, that just that just gives surety to the whole defensive structure. If you're confident your 10 can do his job in that channel, if you say, well, if you want to run down the 10 channel, good luck to you. We're mm. happy for you to do that. It sets us up. Mate, and speaking of the 10 channel, I tweeted this out as well. I was so happy to see Noel Oloseo have a good game. You know, come off the bench, sharp, took the ball to the line well, got to kick the ball out at the end, leapt in the air with, with, with complete delight. After such a tough debut, being in the news, questions, etc., he got on the park, did his job and was part of a big Bledisloe victory. That's the kind of thing you want to see for a young player. We've got these young guys, guys coming in. You want to see this getting into their psyche, getting into their head. We've talked about the way a lot of these under-20s and a lot of these guys who are coming through have had victories in the past. And then for Noah to get that debut where he got an absolute touch-up uh, to come through to a win like that, that's huge, isn't it, Morgs? Well, I would think that when that squad was picked, the weekend, that situation was exactly the t- type of debut that Dave Rennie would have hoped for and planned for Noah Lollasier to have. He wouldn't have seen in the crystal ball that O'Connor and Tamua both go down in the same game, and he has to throw Noah Lollasia on debut in at 10. What a perfect debut it would have been. Noah gets picked, he's on the bench, he learns the play, he has a few reps, and he comes on in the last 20, 15 minutes, and he can have a few touches and celebrate a win. That's that's how that debut should have gone for him. He'll wear some scars from that All Blacks game, the first one. Uh, it was great to see him bounce straight back and, and not be straight out of the 23. You see a Hiro Simone went straight to play against Argentina and Australia right in front of family and friends at Leichhardt Oval. He'll have a different pathway to find his second experience at test level, and it will come. But it was great for Noah individually to be able to be a part of that straight away. And, you know, that's the whole thing about getting back on the horse. But but I think the perfect scenario in the world would have been if, if the weekend was Noah Lollasia's test debut. But I just want to also throw out a quick comment from the crowd, Jock Cudmore. He reminded me of something I meant to mention and didn't. That Reese Hodge clearance from virtually on his own dead ball line right at the back that got us to halfway. And then the quick throw, I think it was a Corabini who chased up and forced the, or it was a poor pass from Sever Reese over Bowden Barrett's head uh, meant that we got there in time to get at the ball. But that was something that is so important in a team as well. For that alone, you almost have to find a place for Hodge in your 15 for me because the kicking game we've had over the years has been so, I won't call it haphazard, but it hasn't been as effective as other test teams kicking games. So to have a bloke who can sit back there in the pocket and unleash one to halfway, that makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Well, that that that, that exact action is actually a thread worth pulling on. So that ball actually goes out 30, 35 metres from the Wallabies line. But the Wallabies defensive line it was, out... It was more than that. It was more than no, that. No, no, they went, they went quick line out, but the ball didn't go out that far down the field. Hmm. So so there's two elements to that. One, they're, God they're damn it, I should have got the vision of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could just be making this up. But, you know, the, the, the line out, the ball, <laughs> the ball is sort of a few metres out. So where it crosses the lines short of the 50, maybe 40 metres, right? But there was significant pressure put by the Wallabies on the All Blacks line out. Now, whether it was a, a tactical message that went out that went, let's take quick line outs, or All Blacks felt they wanted to get into unstructured, broken play, 
There was an element of that. The kick was excellent. I'm not. I'm saying Hodge has got the longest kick in the Australian team. Hodge should be kicking for touch. I saw Tom Banks take the first few penalty kicks for touch. Reese Hodge is probably the best touch finding kicker in the world. Hmm. So I'd be giving him that those duties as well. In terms of a closed skill of just stepping forward three steps, kicking it long into a corner, he is excellent. So I thought that was interesting that Banks did it. It might have been a way to get Banks into the game and have have a bit of a role sharing as well and a load sharing. But the pressure that the Wallabies line-out put on the All Blacks line-out, as seen by Philip Steele on half-time, which was crucial, um, mm. I think that contributes to that quick line-out as well. That was a costly error from the All Blacks to find themselves in that position. Mate, it, it is so true. And, and I said at the top of the show, and it just made me remember it then, you get your simple things right. You know, I admit that's complexity, but you know, if you get you get your line out right, you get your scrum right, you get your kicking for the line, your defensive line right, you know, the rest of it can kind of work itself out. I appreciate what a what a big statement that is, but you understand the point I'm making, I think. Um, quick one from Jason Sherman. He goes, "Yeah, Hodges giving you 45 plus." Um, mate, let's go to the players of the game. Let's talk through uh, who went particularly well. Uh, these were all picked by you today because I was not uh, around during the day to work on it. Um, let's see who you've gone for. Talk us through it, bud. Yeah, I actually did my preparation for the show while you were in the ivory tower, but I thought Matt Phillip, <laughs> we asked the question at the start of the test season uh, about Matt Phillip, already pr- reportedly signed to go overseas. We, we hadn't really seen him consistently in a Wallaby jersey. Didn't know if he was a test footballer. From the weekend, we can definitely say Matt Phillip is a test footballer. That was the best 100%. game. 100%. Best game he played in a gold jersey. One of the best performances by a lock in a long time in a test match. Don't and, go, Matt. Don't go. Yeah, Isn't he going well, overseas? I think every time guys sign to go overseas, they start killing it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe they have less pressure on themselves and they just enjoy their footy. Who knows? Uh, Artie yeah. Severe in a losing team, um, best attacking player for the All Blacks, and I think he was equal equal top tackler with Sam Kane on the defensive side. Yeah, pretty much single-handedly dragged them back into the game with his post-tackle meters and his tackle busts and, and his work through the hard stuff in the middle. Um, but he was brilliant in a losing side. Hodge, uh, you know, the, the questionable selection and the absolute vindication for the selectors. Um, he just did exactly what the team needed. Controlled things. Underplayed his hand. If it wasn't perfect, he took it forward, got the ball back. If he needed to go to the breakdown and clean out, he did that. He does that well. All the basic skills of a footballer, he just did in a 10 jersey. Uh, and we'll have a look a little bit at some of the stuff he did defensively as well when we get to Coach's Corner. Uh, Hunter Paisami, I was just really impressed with the way he shifted into 12. Uh, when we think about, you know, Wallaby tools, we think about guys with creative elements to their game, second ball players and things like that. And he did do a little bit of creating such a threat with the ball, got us over the gain line, sucked in defenders, got us fast ball. Uh, I was really impressed with Hunter Paisami, a guy who, you know, I suppose two years ago, uh, people thought wasn't good enough to play super rugby. Uh, and now he's, you know, that, that, that centre pairing at the moment looks pretty good. Uh, Marika Korobiti, probably the, probably one of the best performance I've seen from him. And he's a John Hills medalist. Uh, absolutely outstanding, big moments, busy, work rate, uh, great decision-making defensively overall. Uh, Wallabies don't win without Marika Korobiti, simple as that. Mate, yeah, he was your player of the batch. And I've been I've been on this theme on Twitter for a while and on the show for a while that the, the effort this guy puts in is unmatched. Like, I, you don't see any other player in the park on either team who puts in the, the every second effort that he does and nothing clearer than that than the end of the game when he makes a double tackle to, to put the pressure on the All Blacks, uh, takes McKenzie out around the legs and there's great footage of McKenzie's face wobbling as he goes backwards and falls like a 10-pin bowling ball back and then Korobiti is up and, the, and I think uh, Geordie Barrett has stepped someone, might have been Philip, I can't remember who it was, and he's up the field, but no, Korobiti's there to help with the tackle and to bring him down. Um, uh, as as Chris uh, Hart is saying in our comments here, uh, Chris Lamb, sorry, is saying about Korobiti, he has so much heart. He absolutely does. He puts it in. And I think one of the one of the other narratives around this too is, you know, I do think about the game in terms of narratives and, and games. You picked out five players there, four Wallabies, all worth talking about, all had great games. And look who we didn't talk about in that area. Tom Wright, what a debut, what a contribution he made. Uh, Belly, 
uh, young Bell came in, you know, for 40 minutes, and I've had concerns that maybe he's not yet up to scrummaging uh, standard at test level. Put that to bed. Um, Taniela Tupo, there is not a player like Taniela Tupo in the world, and I mean this wholeheartedly. There is not a player who brings to the game what he does. His size, strength, speed and ability – there was one portion of play that led up his try there that he went through Sam Whitelock. He went through Artie Sevilla. He went over the top of Anton Leonard Brown. He just absolutely carried the ball so strongly and beautifully and then destroyed the all-black scrum. He is a phenomenal player. There are all these other players. Nick White, what a game Nick White had. I saw a comment from one of the guys over here as well. Chris said, what about the, the niggle from Nick White? TJ Perinara had an ordinary game. Nick White had a good one. Borgs, lots of players stood up. Simple as that. Yeah, it is. You mentioned Angus Bell and Tanila Tupo. They were part of that very important scrum penalty at the back end of the game. That was a huge momentum shift. In, in you know, you can see in those championship minutes that they're the moments that the All Blacks often win. And I tell you what, a lot of people decry five-year contracts. I'd be signing Tanila Tupo and Angus Bell to five-year contracts today. Lock them mm. in to the Lions series. Just lock them in. Mm. Yep. Um, mate, and you mentioned you're right, unlucky. White was solid. Back row did their job. Hooper was. You know, um, it was super. Yeah, he was he was just perpetual motion. Um, yeah, so a lot of guys stood up. That's for sure. Now, mate, I forgot what was next on our agenda. We were doing red cards before red we went cards. to coach's corner. What did I say? Yeah, red cards. Red cards. Okay, red cards. Now. I said at the start of the show, I'll say it again, red cards don't ruin games. They have the capacity to, but they don't. Red card apiece was nice here, but let's talk about the actual red card itself. Uh, Offered to Angafasi, got the, got the arm up into the face of Tom Wright. Tom Wright stepped his way through. Uh, there wasn't even a penalty called. No one had spotted it so much. I think it was spotted and called out. They went back and had a look at it. The way the laws are refereed, the way the laws have been set, the way that World Rugby has said they want to tackle the, the issues that come around concussions in game, the issues that come around head knocks and head injuries, is this is what they want done. You cannot argue with what was called. I've seen other people say it shouldn't have been called at all. I disagree. A really key comparison point here is to NRL. I ran into Peter Fitzsimons at the launch at the announcement of the broadcast deal this week, and he's an absolute warrior on the case of the, the impact that concussion can have on people. And, and he was raving, or not raving, he was uh, ranting, if you will, about the state of origin recently. He wrote a story about it. Boyd Cordner copped the very innocuous knock, the, 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 the rugby league, New South Wales Blues, state of origin captain, got an innocuous knock, collapsed to the ground, was wobbling around and went off the field. And they came back and said they cleared him of concussion when it was clearly concussion. Can contrast that to the, the care of duty that is now in place in rugby's rules. And, Morks, you tell me from a playing perspective, I appreciate how hard Lockie Swinton's trying to hit. I appreciate what uh, Twinga Farsi's trying to do, but is it is it is it not uh, is it unfair to ask them to be hitting that zone below the shoulder? Is it is it too hard, Morgs? Are we too harsh? Uh, well, this is a show in and of itself. There are so, this is not a cut and dried answer to that question. It is too harsh, but it has to be that way. It is, it is well-nigh impossible to get that right every single time. There are going to be those issues, but perhaps there does, do, does need to be those consequences. Well, in terms of, so we look at those two tackles. With the framework put in place by World Rugby, whether you agree with it or not, those are both clear red cards. And both, Absolutely. Players, both players will get initially six weeks. I think Swinton got six down to four for good behaviour. Tunga Farsi, I'm not sure what his judiciary record is like, but if he's got a clean record, I have a decent chance he's six down to three. So the interesting thing is if you throw your arm out and you get someone in the head, it's a really obvious high tackle. But as was seen in that game, the referees and the touch judges pretty much missed those tackles because they are so close to legal tackles. They're five Mm. centimetres too high to be a perfect, unfortunately, the perfect coached tackle of international rugby. The coached tackles in international rugby are not leg tackles and they're not high tackles. They're hitting in torso around the ball, targeting around the ball, wrapping up the ball, winning the contact, dominant hits. So the, the framework talks about active tackles and forceful tackles. Well, that's what you get coached to do. The greater force and the more active your tackle can be in the midsection, that's exactly what your coach wants. And the margin for error where the speed these guys are moving is minuscule. Now, the flip side of this is there's a reason why these rules are in place. That is for the safety of the elite players, of the professional players, of players at every level. Safety. 
And there's, you know, people say, oh, you know, it's because we don't want to get sued and we don't want to do this. The basic thing is it's about the welfare of the player. Now, you go back to, to my era, we, 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 feel, we used to fill out a thing called a Cogsport test, which was, in essence, a computer program that you did at the start of the season to get your baseline. And what it was was, you know, cards would flip around that were red or black or, or picture cards or numbers and stuff, and you had to pick the right one and whatever. And this is how stupid we were. We would deliberately do it poorly so that if we got a head knock and we came back to do the test, you had to get back to your baseline to pass that test to play that weekend. We would deliberately do it poorly so that when we had to get tested after a concussion, it was easier to get it. So there were times when I would get a concussion in a game, and I, I would have had more than 20 concussions in my professional career. Mm. Yeah, um, that's a lot. And, and in clusters of uh, – I found that there were certain times in my career that I got clusters of them in a row. Mm. Uh, and some were massive hits that I recovered from early. Some were innocuous hits that, that I was laid out for a week. But you would, you would come back, and sometimes my cog sport tests would improve because I was so dumb that I cheated. That was the mindset. That's, that's, uh, so there is the element of you need to protect the players from yourselves. Oh, you were that yes, scared of yes. someone taking your spot. You would just lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like hiding an injury. It's like anything. You would yeah. just you didn't want to give up your spot. Why would I give someone else a go in my spot? Whatever level it was, yeah. Wallabies, Waratahs, club level, you don't want to give up your spot to anyone. So you do have yeah. to protect the players from themselves, and that's World Rugby's job is to make the game safer, make the same exactly game safer right. coming through and change the habits. Now, the viewpoint is that red cards are the best way of changing players' habits. Now, it's not fair. It's not easy. And, yes, it is way too harsh. But but World Rugby's view is it's the only way. Now, as an ex-player... The secondary conversation is, is, is how you might manage the red card experience in the game. But we'll get to that yeah, in a second. 100%, yeah. The other thing yeah. is that my immediate reaction as an ex-player is, ah, oh, that's not a red card. That's not a red card. Like, that ruins the game. And a red card ruins the game. It does ruin the game. If I've paid 250 bucks to go watch a game and they get a red card in the first five minutes, I'm pretty filthy, truthfully. That game's ruined. But it doesn't it does. mean – it doesn't necessarily preclude it from being a good game was my point. It doesn't. You can still have a cracking I'm, game. If I'm a Wallaby supporter and we get a red card in the first five minutes, I go, oh, well, West I know what you're saying. I'm saying it's not a fait accompli, though. Yeah. Well, is it? Isn't it? Well, did you enjoy the Perth game where they almost got a red card? Yeah, but not if I was an all-black supporter. Uh, probably because they touched up, yeah. I spent 1000 on the hotel on the flight to get there. I spent 500 down at Margaret River buying Bass Felix and all those wines. <laughs> well, that's on you, mate. <laughs> no, I'm an all-black supporter, you know what I mean? I've gone shark diving. I've gone out to Rottnest Island. I've spent all this money. Uh, I get in there. We get a red card. Where it's all over. Yeah. So there but, is an element. Fact- anyway, we don't get past it, yeah. Yeah, no, no. The, the, the fact that I, that, that I, I what I'll agree with it in a way is is that I you know I would love to see consideration of different ways for that impact on the game to be handled. So I'm obviously admitting or conceding that things could be better in that regard when you're taking a player out of the game. Um, you know, if you know, I've seen people talk about um, twenty minute cards or twenty minutes and then they get replaced. Um, you know, different ways. Are, are there any ways that you've heard, Morgs, that people have suggested that are worthwhile? Uh, conversations to have around ensuring that the the punishment is enough to be really rude and by the team that it happens to and by the player so that there is a genuine impact but you save the game it's a hard thing it's a hard thing what do you what do you reckon yeah oh, i think that's the great point a lot of people say i'll put it on report it's interesting how vocal the leagueies have been this week i even heard you know blokes that I really respect, like Laurie Daly and that talk about it on the Big Sports Breakfast and things like that, but I'll get to them in a sec, is that you don't want to ruin the game. But I also think the team that should benefit from any sanctions is the team playing the game. I couldn't care less if he gets suspended for four weeks if I don't have to play him. It doesn't benefit. If I if my team gets a, gets a high shot, I want to benefit from it straight away. And that benefit could be 10 minutes off, 20 minutes off, and then replaced. And that player takes no further part. That could be the next step. There is some logic to that where my team has a benefit. The other team is has some sanctions, but the game is perhaps not ruined. And I don't mind that. 20 minutes off or whatever, 15 minutes off, and that player takes no further part, and then a player can be replaced. I'm happy. I'm genuinely keen to see that trial. But I do laugh at the leagueies. You referenced the, the state of origin thing. The gall of the leagueies to say, ah, oh, that's what a disgrace. Some of the, the, the commentary around it are rugby soft. It's this, it's that, there's head knocks. Boyd Cordner, so I'm a Rooster supporter. Boyd Cordner passed that HIA. 
So poor old Nathan Gibbs is the is the blues doctor. He was doing something else, and there's a, 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 a HIA doctor, so a neutral doctor. It wasn't even the blues doctor. You know, there's nothing on toward there. The HIA doctor takes him up the tunnel, passes him clear. Nathan Gibbs turns around, he's, he's, and the guy goes, yeah, he's passed the HIA. Nathan Gibbs sends him out. He hasn't seen the... The, the video of the yeah, because he's yeah. doing whatever he does as a doctor. If you see the incident, yeah. he doesn't go back on. It doesn't matter about HIA. Exactly right. He's clearly and concussed. Then, he's and, clearly and gone then, down. And then he can take no further part in the State of Origin series. And the leagueies are into us about about being mm. soft on 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 high tackles. If it means mm. that we protect our players, if it means that we protect the next generation, then it's something we have to do. The framework isn't mm. perfect. There are some changes I would make to the framework. But if it's about player welfare, and it is, and if red cards are the best way to change players' behaviour, then let's give it a go. But there is th- that option to save the game, which you mentioned, Benny. So that's the perfect compromise in the middle. And hopefully Channel 9 stand can champion that, Benny. I'm putting that on your lap, OK? <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what. I'll, I've got one thing to add to that before I do. I'll just acknowledge Carol Donders, who said it did ruin the Perth game. I'm tipping uh, there's uh, some all-black fans who agree with you there, Carol. Um, i tell you what, 20 minutes... Uh, man down, man gets replaced, but we add in Eddie Jones's rule of making the bench smaller. What do you want to go to, six? Uh, six players on the bench. So you've really got it. You might get players out of position. You might get guys, you know, who can't do the job. Um, I like that in, mate. There's a, there's yeah, a little idea for you. It'd make it, actually make the selection of the team fun. It'd be, mate, Reese Hodge would be worth $2 million bucks a year. <laughs> wouldn't he there you go uh, look that was uh, red card rulings uh, let's go to our final segment Morgs it's coaches corner uh, where you pull out a couple of things what do you want to go to first mate you want to talk Reese Hodge or you want to talk with the All Blacks try you've got no, two quick lined up talk about Reese Hodge because it's something that we've referenced that the Wallabies needed to improve and that's getting to the right structures and organisation level in their game. And you see, if we, if we play the clip, we talked about the importance of having backs on the edges in both sides of the field and midfield players identifying whether they should go the same way defensively or fold back to the edge on, on the return side. So there's an even spread of tight five in the middle, back rows in the, on, on the middle edge and backs out wide. If you play it on, it's a really simple play where you see Nick White, box kick and... You know, obviously, the, the simple thing there is the forwards chasing there, and all the Wallaby backs are out to the left. All Blacks immediately go to shift. Hodge makes that tackle. Now, he knows that Paisami gets up left. Look where Hodge goes, right straight to the edge to split the field so the Wallabies' backs have, back, have backs on both sides. Makes that tackle at second last there. Now the Wallabies are set. They've got White and Hodge and Wright on the right-hand side. They've got Paisami, Patea and Korobiti on the far side. They don't need to move at all. Now they can just shift man by man. No one needs to double in around each other. Mm-hmm. And then Patea just makes a poor read. But you look at the numbers, perfect, all right? All Patea's got to do is come forward, tackle the man in his channel. So you get to that so space. This is a- that's where Hodge, Hodge makes, makes that tackle. tackle. And then and he if runs you look, look guys, right. he runs, yeah. yeah, that's him working his way across the bat there to cover that space out wide. So off, off first phase of scrum, first phase of line out and, and first phase of unstructured counterattack, that is excellent work from Hodge, especially when it's unstructured counterattack. It can be hard to refine your structure. The Wallabies there are set. Patea makes a choice that's wrong, but their setup is perfect. Now, the other thing is that the Wallabies were great. The chip over the top, the, the forward work for the Taniela Tupo try, the pressure they put on, but they still have significant improvement in themselves. Uh, and, and they could have easily restricted the All Blacks to less points. If we play the next one along, I want to reference exactly what Reese Hodge did there, but show that the Wallabies need to do that more consistently. So, Benny, if you'd like to play it along, you'll see the issue is when you don't do those things, it just makes life so much easier for the attack and so much harder for the defence. So what happens so here is... So, yeah, so the, this is also off a kick return. I've just shortened it uh, to make it easy. So you see here, Corabidi comes up, misses that tackle. Hodge makes it, Banks makes it, Pattaya's there. If you freeze it there, Benny, just stop. So on that screen, you'll see White behind the ruck. Yeah, so you see White about to go to that ruck. Paisami is the one inside. Then Pattaya, then Corabidi, Hodge on the ground, Banks there. The whole Wallabies back One, two, three, four, five guys yeah. in the – six guys in the 15s. Six of the Wallabies' backs are in the far 15. Tom Wright is the last player. So the Wallabies right now 
have only one chance to stop a try, truthfully, and that is for Hodge or Paisami or probably two of them to sprint to the far side. One's probably the, the logical one because of the reload option here. Banks has got to go second line and one of the backs has got to go. Now, this, I shortened it, but for the first three or four phases of that unstructured footy, the Wallabies weren't able to do what Reese Hodge did. Now, once they get to this position, it's game over. Play it on. And that's the only reason the All Blacks score this try. Still there. White gets to two. Paisami's there. Patea's there. Hodge is there. Banks starts moving out the back. And that's it. Still there. Hodge is still the furthest back across. Uh, White is still the furthest back across. And here it almost doesn't matter what happens because Laumapi, Barrett, Yawani, they're all shifted back to the left. And backs on forwards, it just doesn't matter in the end. They find a way. So the Wallabies have significant improvement in their defence. We saw little bits of it that was well. And a lot of it was probably because Reese Hodges is an excellent defender. They added an excellent defender in there. But they still have lots of work to do in getting themselves set, slowing down the all-black ball enough that they can shift to tight five in the middle. Back rowers outside the tight five on both sides and two to three backs on either side of the, of the edges. Wingers controlling the edges. Nine, Nick White in the back if he wants to be, stepping into the line around the ruck if he needs to be. And bank pen- Banks controlling the backfield. When the Wallabies get to that situation, they look comfortable. It makes life easier for the forwards in the middle of the park. But there you see if they don't, if they, if the pressure and speed of all the All Blacks put on them doesn't allow them to slow their momentum and get reset and split the field, then it doesn't really matter what they do defensively. They are in all sorts. And I suppose that, you know, that's the key difference uh, between the, the last two test walks is that we saw those those issues were were endemic really in that in that game in Sydney and here it happened once they got stung but they kept their the integrity of their line through the game. Yeah, the, the, the tight five work, the, their work was sensational in the middle of the park. And the other thing the All Blacks didn't do is they did not really kick for those spaces as much as they did in, in the previous game. You know, you saw there was just a little bit of a tactical change, whether it was not arrogance, but a little bit of overconfidence from the All Blacks. The, the crossfield kick from Bowden Barrett when he turned the, when they turned the ball over on their own line, five minutes out from their own line, was a, for me was a huge indicator that their mindset had shifted to a little bit of touch footy, a little bit of a little bit of overconfidence that we'll be right here. And the Wallabies made them pay. The pressure the Wallabies put on them, the times that they were set really well, they looked pretty comfortable. Uh, and, and a lot of people go, oh, the All Blacks didn't care. The All Blacks had an off night. Yeah, that's true. But at least a huge element of that was the amount of pressure that the Wallabies put on them and that they didn't let them play well. Now it's important for them to back it up against Argentina. Dead right, mate. And uh, just a couple of uh, spotted in the streets. The Argentinian team were in the gym next to work today. They were actually in the gym next door. I walked past this gym and there was a horde of blokes in there in these aqua blue tops and I wondered who they were. Then I realised, oh, it's the Argentinian there. Mario Ledesma walked out and introduced himself. Just said, "G'day, I'm Mario." And I, "G'day, Mario. How are you, mate?" Uh, yeah. Back in he went. He's a friendly fellow. Um, we, uh, yeah, we might have to get Mario on. He's a good, uh, he's a good eastern suburbs man. He, his kid playing down at Ramwick and doing South Maroubra nippers when they're in Sydney. So uh, he's a he's a good man. And then the great Michael Checker in there helping them as well. So as a definitely Australian flavour. Yes, and mate, the other bloke I spotted this week is when I when I turned up the Rugby Australia headquarters for the press release uh, for the presser uh, on on uh, Monday. Um, I spotted Vunavalu striding outside. So it was about an hour before the press got there, uh, and I think that I think Sam Phillips today broke the story that he was added to the Wallaby squad. But when I saw him on Monday, he was walking around in Wallaby shorts with a Wallabies trainer. So I think it was pretty clear at that stage that he's already started training with the guys. Tizzy mate, he looks like a fit unit. He looks like he could, he could go with Corabidi for uh, for yeah. putting an effort. Yeah, he's probably better aerially and athletically. As a pure athlete, he looked more impressive. If he's got the effort of Marika Corabitti, we've done well there. Look, he, uh, he's he been in the gym a few times. He was back in there today training with a couple of the Wallabies boys. Um, you know, I don't want to get too carried away with him being added to the Wallaby squad. He's in there exactly no, as Marika Corabitti was in there. Absolutely. Exactly as Marika Corabitti was in there in 2017 to, to accelerate his learning. And what better yeah. way than being in a Wallabies environment, training day in, day out, getting to know exactly what the Wallabies want to do, exactly how rugby's played. Has a huge history of playing rugby. Let's accelerate his learning, go straight into a pre-season with the Queensland Reds so that he's got as many weeks of training under his belt. I, d- I doubt we'll see him in a Wallabies jersey over the next couple of weeks, put it that way. Mate, I saw a bit of that blow-up online and I, and I thought it was just ridiculous, to be honest. Well, it's, Ill- um, it's ill-informed. 
It is. It, it, getting him involved, he's a quality player. He's been bought, you know, the Wallabies teams identified him as a player they wanted across. They've brought him over. Getting him in the squad and getting him, you know, up to speed when the other guys are, you know, doing different things, but getting him in that environment is a great start. It's I'm almost positive it's not about him being picked for uh, uh, games against Argentina. So let's leave it at that. Well, we're going to wrap up. I'll take one more question from the crowd because I can answer it. Is Stan Sports going to be a separate service or is it a component of the current Stan service? It's the component of the current one. So if you've already got Stan, it'll just be an add-on you can add within your existing Stan app, which is nice and easy. I'm watching Gangs of London at the moment. Morg is going to ask me for a Stan uh, pass now, are you, mate? You want to you stand oh, voucher? Mate, I pay for my Stan. My, my kids well, actually, my, my eldest is watching uh, How I Met Your Mother. I'm not sure how suitable it is. He's 15, but I think <laughs> it's okay. But uh, so, yeah, we're, we're in the Stan. Excellent, well, mate. Uh, try and get. Can you try and get the Mandalorian off uh, off Disney for me? Because if they have that, <laughs> then I won't need anything else. <laughs> well, mate, as I said at the top of the show, uh, it, it's exciting to see what can be. It's exciting to be a part of it, mate, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more. But, mate, that is the Rugby Ruckus tight five for today, Morgs. Uh, loving the the summary feel you've you've brought to us, mate. And don't forget, guys, you can get a, a a shirt like that with the bin chickens and the Australian vibe on the Classic Wallabies website. Morgs, any closing thoughts? No, look, Benny, I just want to say that I've, I've always loved working with you. I really respect you. Um, I reckon you're, <laughs> you're a great human being. Um, I'm not sure what's next for you, but uh, if I call, <laughs> make sure you answer the phone, can you? Yeah, well, mate, uh, good luck with the rugby ruckus in the future, mate. That's, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, guys, uh, that was the show. Uh, we love chatting rugby. You will see us next week. And actually, uh, for those who are still hanging around, uh, we think we've got a big guest for Sunday night. I'll, I'll confirm it on social media, but we think that we're going to have a big guest to talk to on Sunday night. It should be a cracker. Morgs, I'll see you then.